Stories connect us as humans. A well-told story can motivate and inspire us. Storytelling is the ultimate superpower. Be The Drop is a weekly podcast that investigates how to tell stories that engage. Join me, Amelia Veal, on our shared journey to become better storytellers. In episode 240, founder of Small Fires Publishing, Grace O'Hara, explains why humans need humility for impact. We discuss how individuals can use their own power to remove obstacles for others and why that's important. Grace also shares why we should measure success in equal parts impact and happiness. This is Grace's version of Be The Drop. Are you starting a podcast? Narrative Marketing delivers a full range of podcast production and training options. Visit narrativemarketing.com.au or hit the link in the show notes for more details. This episode was recorded in conjunction with PauseFest 2021, Australia's leading digital startup and innovation conference. Head to pausefest.com.au for more info. Grace, thank you so much for joining me for our next episode of Be The Drop. Thank you so much for having me. We're following on from your presentation at Pause Fest, which was talking about humility and the power of people and how we can work together to remove obstacles for others, which is a topic that resonates incredibly strongly with me. Be The Drop is based on the saying that I like, which is a waterfall begins with one drop. And so it's all around how we can work together and and how we can open that up. So I thought it would be great if we could start on that topic and maybe even if you have a story or something you can share around why that's so important. I guess one of my biggest professional aha moments has been seeing how power is manifested and can be used either for good or bad. Power isn't just a thing that you have, it's built through lots of different things and it can take many different forms. So, you know, having financial power is one example or having a network that you can reach out to, having access to information is a different power. And it's different in different people and different organisations, but having awareness of that is really, really cool. So I think for leaders in particular as well, I've read a lot by Julie Diamond, who is a wonderful expert on power and how it's used. And she tends to say that you gain leadership from going through the ranks and kind of believing in yourself a bit more, trusting in your own abilities. But the more that you actually climb those ranks, the more you close yourself down. And when you do that, you're not often listening to the people that you're there to serve. You're not often in tune with where your blind spots might be. And so as leaders, when you're trying to make change for people within an organization, it's really important that you listen to the people that you're there to serve so that you are meeting their needs and not kind of diminishing their opportunities in the process. That is a challenge. It's a bit of a paradox challenge for leadership because the leadership role is to lead, but you're looking at creating more of a space of bringing people in that leadership with you. Is that, you know, sort of how you see it happening? Like what is a great way of, you know, in everyday sort of examples, bringing people along that journey with you? I think it's really interesting because it comes down to what is our definition of leadership. And quite often it is, you know, competitive and based on scarcity and is something that's quite forceful rather than something that's shared, which power doesn't diminish if you share it with other people, which I find amazing because it's like, why wouldn't you share it? But yeah, often it comes down to this feeling of, oh, I've got to control the situation. If I open it up, people don't get it. People won't understand. People won't make the right choices. What do we value when it comes to leadership? Do we 
we need top-down decisions or is it about making sure that everyone has a voice and everyone has is included in decisions and can can have an opinion and again that's come from my own experience as well where my colleagues would make sure that they were the last to speak in the room I would make sure that everyone contributed to a conversation before they did which was a very different way of doing things to how I'd experience in other workplaces, which I'm sure we've all experienced too. So you, it is really about creating not only the space, but also the time and the the ability for people to have voice. Yeah, definitely. And you talk as well about the focus on heroism and, you know, being the best and the greatest, whereas every day there is all sorts of versions of the best and the greatest, but they might not be the ones that are the most celebrated. And you spend time focusing on creating stories on differences and and smaller versions of of everyday heroes. Can you tell us about that a bit more? Yeah, definitely. So I run a publishing company or social enterprise actually called Small Fires, and we publish children's books that show what it's like to grow up in different parts of the world. And I guess, again, it comes back to power when I had the privilege of traveling the world quite a few years ago. And I realized that most of the stories that I consumed about those places growing up just did not match the reality of what was happening on the ground. In retrospect, it was, you know, mostly defined by charity advertising or mostly defined by news, which have their own agendas to sell a particular story to get you to do something or to keep you watching, basically. And so, yeah, I'd seen that the more celebratory stories didn't really have a place. They didn't really have money (laughs) associated with them. And so I saw that was really problematic because we're growing up and seeing these one-sided narratives. And so we set out to try and, again, create space for people to tell their own stories who had come from different areas and were doing, like you say, their own everyday acts of heroism. And we really wanted to champion the stories that hadn't been given a a voice or a place traditionally in publishing, and that is diverse people, people from different um, cultural backgrounds in different countries. So, yeah, that's what we do. So that is a very much an example, and this was another theme you were talking about in your pause presentation around how individuals can use power to remove obstacles for others. So how do you encourage others to do that? I mean, we might not all have the ability to set up a publishing (laughs) social enterprise. So what does that mean, you know, for a greater collective of people to use our power to remove obstacles for others? Yeah, great question. I think reflecting on my own experience, having literacy around power and being able to talk about it and being able to identify it is really important. Often the power that you have had your whole life, you don't value because you don't see it. So, you know, being born into a certain class or in a certain country, growing up with English as the main language in your house or just your health and your well-being, even down to whether you're someone who's quite charismatic and makes connections easily and communicate with others. Those are all forms of power that aren't equally distributed. And so being able to recognize them and say, oh, okay, this is something that I have, whether I've earned it or not, and something that I could perhaps share with other people. So I think some of the examples I gave last night were around the easiest ones to share and that often you don't see as having value, but so valuable is your network. So if you build up your connections with people your whole life and it's so easy to say, oh yeah, I know this person in this industry and someone who's a, a new entrant might like to also know that person or might be able to learn something from that person. So all of the experience is so helpful to pass on to someone who's new and that can really be applied anywhere to anyone who's going through something that you've experienced. And again, access 
This is probably one more for an organization. I mean, it's something that's typically undervalued in organizations. So whether you run trainings, whether you have event space or an office that you could perhaps lend out or give to community groups, that kind of thing. If you run training, giving away discounted tickets, that kind of stuff. There's many ways that we have access to space or an audience even that you can share that kind of power in really tangible ways. It doesn't have to be starting a whole company, but just something small. Yeah. So it's obviously something you're very passionate about, you know, and and giving access to others is obviously something that is really important to you. What drives that passion for you? Yeah. I guess I've had quite a few experiences where I felt powerless in the past and not really knowing that that was what was happening. Just feeling like I didn't have a voice, feeling like I was unsafe in the environments where I were. And so the safest thing to do was not speak or not do anything. And then having the absolute beauty of seeing the upper side of that spectrum where my colleagues made me feel safe, made me um, feel valued and that I could say anything and give feedback and really have that that literacy and that understanding of its power dynamics that often shape this really opened my eyes and inspired me to do my part to never make that a situation that other people have to go through. And so using the learning that I've had and the the power I've acquired, I see my opportunity now as creating a business where I can do exactly the things that I've learned and create the version of the organization and how people are treated within it that that I see as being the best kind. And it's great because in your way, you're then continuing that ripple. So you had that experience and then you're expanding that to help create that experience for other people. And then hopefully that will continue in, in that ripple effect, which is, is really beautiful. Another thing you talk about is like the importance of measuring success in equal parts, impact and happiness. That's a concept that really appeals to me. Can you explain, you know, your thinking on that? Yeah, I guess, again, being part of experiences where you get so focused on the what that you forget about the how of what you're doing, um, particularly when it comes to people and their role in creating outcomes. And it feels like the results sometimes will justify any amount of injury to the team behind them. I guess a really interesting example of that. So when we were producing our first book, I kind of set this deadline as the end of 2019, I think it was. And I was really pushing people to to hit that deadline. And we're a global team. We're all going through different things. Our illustrator was based in Puerto Rico. And in 2019, there was earthquakes and there was also a lot of political upheaval. And it got to a point where I just, I was having this battle between, I can't ask my illustrator to push through all these things she's experiencing and just deliver on this deadline that I'd arbitrarily made up versus missing a deadline that, you know, mattered to me, mattered probably to our readers, but wasn't going to make or break their life. Uh, And it got to this point where I had to really sit down and say, what am I, what am I doing this for? What's the, what's the deadline and what's the milestone and what's more important? Is it getting us all to a place that we had an amazing experience and this amazing learning opportunity that happened between the team, or is it producing this thing that might have impact somewhere else? And so it's definitely a balance. I don't think if you focus just on people, perhaps maybe nothing, but when you are creating something particularly that is intended to create impact, I think it's important to remember that there's people behind that and that individual lives matter as much as just the outcome as well. Mm. And I, I'm not sure that that is something that's generally focused on in the workplace. Certainly that there's a lot of results-driven measurements, um, 
but I, I'm not even sure like how do you actually measure the happiness level of of your team the happiness monitor for sure I guess even um coming back to that thing we were talking about before around like how do you define happiness for your team and that will mean different things to different people is it having the autonomy to work on what you want or the flexibility to work wherever you are and whatever hours I have a freelance practice alongside running my social enterprise and yeah this is something I work with on teams is checking in regularly you know with informal feedback and making sure people are fine but also doing surveys and measuring and talking to your team and saying you know are you doing work that's challenging and are you feeling supported in that are you engaged do you have the space that you need for for your mental health and your physical health so there there are definitely things that you can measure and put in place and sometimes it just starts with a conversation and asking what do you value and what do you want out of your your work other than to do something important. And it's interesting, you know, you're talking about the importance of measuring impact and happiness. In a way, it's almost like, correct me if I'm wrong, but the running of a social enterprise. What has it been like setting up a social enterprise and that mix between social good and needing to run a business? Yeah, it's a great question. We're still super early days, so I can offer like insights on what it's been like to launch. But for me, it's been really freeing. I think we focus so much on profit and on dollars that you forget about all the other things that a business can do. And most of it comes back to, you know, impact doesn't have to be through dollars. It can be sharing your power in other ways like network or information or your thoughts, I guess, your IP or your content. So yeah, it's been really freeing in that way that you, you're not defined just by this one result, I guess. You can kind of have a bit more creativity in saying, what do we have? What can we use? And what what can we do with that? Which is really exciting. But the reason why it's a social enterprise and probably not a not-for-profit, while that's amazing, is that you, you do have similar goals. So the reason we're a social enterprise, we share profit back with the change makers who write our books. So people who are working in communities around the world to to create change there. So it, it's in some ways it's it's great. In some ways it's also tough as well. Balancing how you measure impact versus, you know, the non monetary impact side as well is always going to be a challenge. But I like to focus on the positives. Yeah. So well and then in that running and the launch process, what has been the greatest challenge and what has been the greatest reward? The greatest challenge, I guess it's probably particular to the publishing industry, was that it just took so long uh, to create our first book. And when we got ready to launch, um, we'd been working on it for about two years by that stage, which everyone's like, two years for a picture book? What? But when we finally got ready to launch, it was June of last year, which of course was in the middle of the Melbourne lockdown. We're based in Melbourne. And so all of the ways that we had researched around how you launch a book were just completely off the table, you know, like doing school visits, doing a book launch in a, a bookstore. Everyone just was not having a bar of anything. You know, schools were inundated and overwhelmed with what was happening, as were most small businesses that are usually very collaborative and open and generous. So that was a real challenge for sure and there were times where I was like no one cares this is the worst idea ever like just so much doubt and overwhelmed with just the journey ahead and that feeling of isolation I guess was really particularly strong when you're launching something new and you don't really have that validation the flip side of that I guess was that we launched a crowdfunding campaign and eventually got it over the line although that first week was probably the biggest feeling of isolation and, oh my God, what am I doing? But yeah, being able to get to the end of that and say people are 
responding to what we're putting out. People want these stories. People are valuing what we're doing. And then further to that, printing the books and being able to distribute those first revenue and profit back to the change maker and say, this is something that didn't exist before. Like we generated this money and it's now having this impact. That was really special. Yeah. Seeing something out of nothing and see that be used in the way that you had envisioned was really special. Yeah. A very tangible moment. I hope you managed to get some time to stop and celebrate it. Eventually. I remember we packed, so we sold 450 books and we just from don't ever launch a book before Christmas is my number one rule because <laughs> we had about three days to get them um, shipped in time for like the Christmas cutoffs. And I just remember sitting there at like 11 o'clock at night after I packed up probably like 300 books and just sat and read the book for the first time. And I was like, oh my gosh, I made a book. Like <laughs> We did it. And it was just this really weird moment. But yeah, we've had some some resting since then. <laughs> Yeah, good. And then, so book two? Book two, yes. So we launched only November, December last year. So we're currently trying to keep the wheels going on that and keep the profits coming in to send out to our change maker. But at the same time, we are focusing on book two and beyond. We're going after grants and funding at the moment to try and speed up that production because it's a very long and expensive process. But yeah, hopefully we've got more on the way soon. Yeah, well, I hope so too. We look forward to following the next step. Well, Grace, thank you so much for joining me. In conclusion, though, could you share with me your Be The Drop tip? And that's your top tip for communication that motivates and inspires. Communication that motivates and inspires. Mm. Oof. Well, I feel like it's not revolutionary at all. But just through the process of launching a social, I'm someone who's way more comfortable behind the scenes, facilitating stuff and doing the the operations. But sharing my own story was one of the hardest things, but one of the best things I did during the launch last year. People want to connect with other people and that's ultimately what makes change. So as uncomfortable as it is, share your words and however you're comfortable doing it and people might surprise you with how much that you resonate with what they've gone through too. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Grace. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that. This is a Narrative Network podcast.